0: Is the world that we want to live in one where we need to sort of hyper-financialize every aspect of an individual's life because financial conditions on a macro level are such that you have to sort of financialize your, your whole being in order to keep up or get ahead. Is that truly a victory for democracy?
1: Hello there, everyone. Happy Friday. How are you all? Have you had a good week? I want to welcome you to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini. The only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got an interview with Logan Bollinger. Now, following on from my interview with Jason Meyer, I wanted to get some more progressives who are interested in Bitcoin on the show. I talked about this recently on Twitter. If you go through my show history, there's been a lot of people who are maybe conservatives or from a libertarian background, but Bitcoin is going more mainstream now. There's a lot more people coming into it, and I've noticed there's a lot more people who are progressives or people from the left. So I think it is important to get as many different voices on the podcast as possible. So, yes, I wanted to get some of these more left-leaning Bitcoiners who are coming out of the woodwork to come on the show. As we always talk about Bitcoin is for anyone and can offer so much, no matter what side of the political aisle you're on. So Logan wrote this great article for Bitcoin Magazine. It was called From Bernie to Bitcoin, and I thought he would be a great guest for the show. Um, Please do go and check out the show notes. Go and check out this article. It is fantastic. So we get into all sorts in the show, though. We get into the polarisation with politics at the moment, media bias, and the unintended consequences of hyper bitcoinization. So it's a fascinating show. Logan's a great guy. Uh, Make sure you go and check him out. Make sure you go and follow him on Twitter. Um, I hope you enjoy the show. If you've got any questions about this or anything else, please do reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Have you connected with Jason Meyer yet?
0: on twitter we haven't we haven't actually this is a this is interesting hearing myself like this, but um we've we're connected on Twitter we haven't actually spoken yet though, but a couple of people have kind of put us in contact with each other and just said, hey like you should but we haven't had a conversation yet
1: I think he I think he's going to get better and better I mean for a first interview he did very well agreed uh, and observing him on Twitter has been interesting because uh, he's getting like one in 10 shitty comments, like typical, uh, weak attempts at attacking the progressive and he's, you know, he's not rising to the bait, which I'm, uh, I think is very cool.
0: Yeah. I think for me, I mean, I, I get a fair amount of that, that type of blowback as well. And I think initially, you know, you want to respond to every single person and kind of have this wage, this war with them, but then you just arrive at a point where you say this is completely useless almost. So,
1: well, you give an energy to people who won't change their mind.
0: Yeah, so much of it is, I feel like, baiting too. So, I mean, I wrote a couple of pieces about my intellectual journey going from being a Bernie Sanders supporter to to being a Bitcoiner and how being a Bitcoiner has changed the way I think about politics a lot and sort of made, I guess, my view a little bit more nuanced about progressive stuff. And, you know, I had so many people come out and just say, you know, you lost me you lost me at Bernie. Basically, you, you you know you said Bernie, and I'm out. And you can't possibly have anything intelligent to say.
1: Yeah, but th- I mean that's also pretty naive in that you're trying to tell somebody a journey you've gone on to get into Bitcoin, and as a Bitcoiner, that's helpful for them to understand. Unless they spend their entire life only mixing with people of the, the exact same attitude. Um, one of the interesting things about say a journey that you've had. If they have friends who are maybe progressives who don't understand Bitcoin or maybe Bernie fans, you can say, oh, well, read this, understand how uh, Logan built his new mental model around Bitcoin. It's like last night we were out with some friends and I I had a friend who just fully doesn't grok Bitcoin. Very smart guy. Doesn't have, for us, he has not great arguments. And for us, I I enjoyed it because I was like, okay, how, how do we get through to him? How do we navigate his objections to Bitcoin and give him... The, the understanding of what, you know, how we see Bitcoin. And I think this is why I've been saying to th- people about Jason and supporting him. It's like, if you, even if you completely disagree with him politically, you should absolutely support what he's doing. Because you want Bitcoin to be a success. You believe it's for everybody. We have a lot of pretty bad fard or misreporting that comes from the left. Here's a guy going out there to defend Bitcoin and show progressives how they're wrong. You should absolutely support this guy.
0: Yeah. And I agree with your take on that entirely uh, 100%. Yeah. Because I mean, I think even, even myself, I have some, not reservations, I guess I have, I, I feel a little bit of mixed feelings. I have some ambivalence about the framing and the way that we kind of sort of try to bring the capital P progressives um, on board to Bitcoin. Um, but nevertheless, I think it's certainly something we should be doing.
1: What do you mean uh, but... by capital P progressives?
0: So I'm sure that there's probably a more eloquent way to um, that we can kind of make this distinction. But recently I've been thinking a lot about, and I think it helps sort of, at least in my mind, kind of clarify for me why I think progressives struggle a little bit with Bitcoin, is because I've been kind of drawing a distinction recently between what I would call lower P progressivism, which is obviously just progressivism with with just a lowercase p and then kind of capital P progressives capital p progressive's um you know that's kind of like the formal political identification the affinity with that political party versus progressivism with the lower p which in my mind is 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 like a set of ideas that would just be lowercase p progressive kind of detached from and not necessarily married to a specific formal political affiliation and i view sort of lowercase p progressivism as That's kind of ideas first, ideas lead the bus or um, drive the bus, and kind of the identity part of it is more secondary or tertiary. Whereas capital P progressives, um, that to me, particularly in US politics where we're so polarized, um, you know, the two-party system is very kind of entrenched and and ossified. You know, for me, I think of capital P progressives as it's kind of identity first. It's sort of you're identifying with this group and you were not necessarily doing you know, diligence on every issue that exists, you're kind of just saying, okay, what is this group's, this identity group's lens? And, you know, I'm gonna view it through that lens, which then allows for people like kind of Elizabeth Warren to come out and say, here's what I think about Bitcoin. And then you have everybody who associates or affiliates themselves with that formal political group, um, you know, immediately says, oh, well, well then that's what I think about it. Mm. Um, And so I think, I've been thinking a lot about this distinguishing between the two, because I think Bitcoin is very lowercase p progressive. I think it's um, kind of inarguably lowercase p progressive. I'm going to try to stop saying lowercase and capital, but
1: but the distinction is helpful.
0: Yeah. And I think it's, I also think it's, I think it's really helpful because I think one of the most interesting things that Bitcoin does politically is it kind of, it's sort of like truth serum. It kind of reveals the incoherence um, of certain, of like a, of a slate of, of political platform beliefs, um, it also reveals you know, maybe internal contradictions um, in that set of beliefs. I mean, for example, with, with progressives, um, I mean, progressives purportedly believe in a certain set of things, a certain set of ideas. If Bitcoin advances those ideas and progressives are anti-Bitcoin, then Bitcoin kind of has revealed contradictions in, in the progressive platform.
1: Well, what is virtue and what is real?
0: So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, how much of, of capital P progressives is just kind of, um, more of like reflexive identity. Like I want to be of this group of people versus I actually care about getting the issue, right? Getting the solutions. Correct. And I also don't think, you know, I don't think the incentives, um, are always there at least in us politics, but probably in politics worldwide. Um, to actually arrive at a solution, I think the incentives clearly in America at least are get reelected and you know score points with your political team.
1: yeah, well, this is why um I find it so interesting at the moment because I think it's pretty clear the history of Bitcoin was you know, post cypherpunks was very much a, a libertarian idea and uh, seemed to fit nicely within the political framework of conservatives, not just. American conservatives, but also British conservatives. Um, I historically have been a conservative voter. Um, but UK conservatives are not like Republican conservatives. We also have and share some progressive ideas. Both our parties are a lot more to the center than I think US parties are. And it's very easy for us to get people on the show or libertarians or people with conservative ideas, and we've had a lot of that. But we've also had people writing in or leaving comments saying, uh, your show is just filled with white, White uh, right wing libertarians like, can we ha- have some more diverse mm-hmm. opinions? And that's why I put the shout out. It's like, um, you know, we've had Troy Cross on, we've uh, we've had Margot Payers on, and you know we knew we were going to have Jason on. And I put the call out, say, let's have some more, let's 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 unite around this. Let's let's see where we agree, and let's see where we can work together. So you are responding and uh, agreeing to come all the way over to Bedford. Which, by the way, thank you so much because it's not a small journey, and also we're going to treat you to a game of football, but thank you for coming over to this, because I, there is some pushback against this. When I talk about this and uh, push Jason out there or other people out there, there is some pushback. And I really want to get the idea to be was that we are in this really shitty culture war at the moment, and we have this thing that we, we agree on, and we can unite around, and we can possibly solve a number of societal problems which are unique to our own identities, but help bring us together as society. So, I really do appreciate you coming over and doing this. And I hope to talk to uh, a few more progressives about their ideas and what they're thinking and what Bitcoin means to them. And also, uh, both parts of your from Bernie to Bitcoin was brilliant. Um, and uh, we're going to cover a lot of that today. But but I think it might be useful just for people who don't know you can can you just introduce yourself because. Um, uh, yeah, you know, there's quite a big audience now who might not have heard of you. Or...
0: Sure, yeah. Um, so I, um, I'm currently a lawyer by day. That's my my day job. Um, back in the day, I was a high school teacher. Um, I, you know, I've been uh, practicing law for I guess five years or so now. I got into Bitcoin in 2017. Um, originally, didn't didn't stick with me. I kind of needed multiple touch points, like I think uh, most people do. And uh, 2020 rolls around, and that's kind of where I went deep down the rabbit hole. Um, just a lot of things didn't make sense to me, um, and Bitcoin helped me make sense of the world and make sense of what was happening. And then um, you know, it's just been a journey from there, uh, just kind of getting deeper and deeper into the space and, and talking to lots of people, um, started writing a lot, um, and you know, I write a free newsletter now called Think Bitcoin, and, um, and now I'm here.
1: Well, it's good to have you here. Um, so, thanks
0: for having me. I, I really, really appreciate it and uh, very excited about the football game. like
1: I'm nervous and excited. We got a, obviously we got off to a great start, perfect start to the season, but
0: oh, we're gonna bring a lot of good energy, so
1: well, I hope so. Fing, fingers crossed that you'll be our good omen and we'll get three points. But okay, so I want to get to uh, I want us to work our way to um, where you got to. I'm gonna I'm gonna quote you. Um this comes from the end of your part one of your two, uh, your two articles, which, again, I say, we'll share in the show notes, but the first major breakthrough for me on my journey from Bernie to Bitcoin was confronting the idea of trust in politics. I'm wondering how Bitcoin's trustlessness could be leveraged towards a positive political end via its potential to constrain lawmakers. Um, so I've, I've read that quote now probably about 10 times this morning. I'm, I'm going over and over and over it in my head. And... And then I went back and read your analogy with doctors and cures. And then it started to resonate with me. And because Danny was saying, oh, you're really going to love Logan. You two are going to agree on a lot. And I think I know why. where I agree with you is that I'm not a, I, I don't buy any of this burn down the state. I don't buy anarchism. It's not for me. But I appreciate a lot of their ideas. I do like the idea of a smaller state. And I do like the idea of better responsibility within the state. And I like what Bitcoin how Bitcoin can do that. So that really crystallized it for me. But I think if we work through that journey, like literally talk doing it through from Bernie to Bitcoin, I think I think we might help some other people crystallize mm-hmm. what the problems are and how Bitcoin can because I don't want to I don't want to burn things down. I want to make things better. Yeah. I don't want to say democracy is a, a terrible system and it should be replaced with something else. I think it's a it can be the best system. I don't want to say great the best system. And it's better than a lot of the other systems people are living under. So how do we fix that and make it better?
0: Yeah, I would agree. I definitely agree with that. And I think um, something that I think about a lot with respect to libertarians and um, and Bitcoin and sort of the worldview that I think exist, the, the, the folks who kind of think that, oh, we need to burn down the state. There's actually a weird, I'm probably gonna get torched for saying this, maybe from both sides, but I actually think there's some similarities um, philosophically between you know, some, some folks on the left and, and libertarians in the sense that I think there's a streak of utopianism kind of runs through both. And for example, if you were a you know, a Marxist um, on the left and you believe that, you know, there's this natural kind of progression of history from feudalism to capitalism. And then, of course, naturally, you know, the workers get fed up and they, they rebel against unfair conditions. And then we get the worker state of socialism. And then eventually, though, it all culminates in this kind of, you know, Edenic, perfect you know, state of communism, which is utopian. I mean, that's a utopian view that we get there. And I think it ignores um, a lot. It sounds wonderful in theory. And I think it's really alluring, Um, but it obviously ignores a lot of variables. Um, And I think I think for libertarians, though, I think there's in some of the folks in Bitcoin who are who want to burn down the state and live in this kind of. Anarcho-capitalistic sort of state of nature thing. Um, It's or or I guess maybe some of the folks who I think now kind of the the version of that that exists on the libertarian side of Bitcoin is you know we're all going to live on our own farms and you know the world is going to be just one big sort of organic you know farm and we're all going to sort of live these bucolic lives. Um, You know voluntary
1: interactions.
0: Yeah, and uh, I think. You know, I've seen some, uh, a lot of stuff on that. And I think that's similarly utopian and similarly, um, probably I hesitate to use the word naive because it sounds so pejorative, but I, I do think it's similarly ignores a lot of other variables. And I think, um, so I guess I just, I think that there's some, some resonance between sort of the left's vision of the future and the libertarian's vision of the future that just doesn't get talked about enough. Because I think some of the pitfalls of of both um, are similar as well.
1: Yeah, I I largely agree. And we will both get uh, flamed for this. Totally. But but what I've come to appreciate is that uh, when I spend time with libertarians, I think they have a very, actually people on the left, people on the right, all seem to have a very, anyone who cares so much about the system that we live within They all seem to have a strong moral compass. They just have different things that they care about. I think libertarians are are ideologically right about a vast number of subjects. I think the practical application of their ideas is where I struggle with it. But that's why I I wish there was... I've I've said this so many times on the show. I wish the libertarian parties were Better politically, more successful politically, because I think they could deliver a number of the things that, especially things that you've talked about in here, that cons- a bit more constraint on the state, a bit more um, responsibility in terms of uh, fiscal planning. And, and so I I, I I like my support, and I just hope we see... I just think a more libertarian influence on politics would be good.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I, I, like, I like your framing that you just, you know, saying... I think, uh, you know, in theory and kind of ideologically, there are some similarities between the left and libertarians, but like you said, it's the practical applications. I think there are problems with the practical applications from both sides, both from the left and from libertarians. Um, So I like that. And I also think, I I definitely agree that it would be useful in America. One of the biggest problems that we have, in my opinion, is, you know, we're extraordinarily polarized politically. The two-party system I think is, to put it charitably, untenable and dysfunctional.
1: Did you see that recent chart that came out on the voting patterns over the years?
0: Where it just kind of all converges and it's it hardens, basically, yeah. on each side now. Th-
1: check out, I think it was Breedlove who shared it. I could be wrong, Danny. Try and have a look for this chart. But it was, I think it was going back to like the 60s and 70s. There was kind of, it was less partisan. And now it's just like two solid blocks. Yeah,
0: there was kind of a middle ground that you could walk, or at least there used to be. Um, but but now um, it's it's a total kind of sorting process where you're you're either on one side, you're on the other side, and it's like that for every single issue. Which is why Bitcoin is so interesting in the way that it
1: was. It this? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Hmm. It's fascinating, it, but it, but it, but it's also scary.
0: Yeah, it's oh, it's terrifying, and I I think the the incentive structure. Um, for politicians in the U.S. is just to to kind of get to get reelected first and foremost, um, because we have no term limits. So I mean, th- there's nothing to to constrain um, politicians from serving, you know, decades at a time, which is why the average age of of an American senator is 65 years old.
1: What's well, to get um, is to get elected and get paid.
0: Yeah, get elected, get paid, and then just stay elected. And then in order to do that, I mean, you just kind of have to score the right points with your political team um, you know your tribe and there's less of an incentive to actually get the solutions correct or to find the right answer which is I think sometimes when we uh, you know want to sort of pitch Bitcoin to to either political party I think there's sort of inherent within that a the presupposition that you know well if we just if we just educate them you know they'll want to do the right thing based on on their knowledge and I'm not sure that I think that that's 100% correct um, because I think the incentive system is so, is so poor um, that I, I'm, I wouldn't be confident in saying that, you know, sure, if we educated every, every person in Congress in America about Bitcoin, that they would all, you know, see the light and see this as, you know, a solution to certain problems and, and start advancing it and, and uh, you know, proposing and passing appropriate legislation.
1: This show is brought to you by the Texas Blockchain Council. Now, on November the 17th and 18th, the Texas Blockchain Council are putting on the Texas Blockchain Summit in Bitcoin country, Austin, Texas. Now, you know how much I love out there. I'm going to be attending. The event is two days of thought leadership for Bitcoin. Day one is all that any Texas Bitcoin miner could ask for. Top Bitcoin CEOs and their teams will be hanging out in Austin. And day two has top policy leaders from the US, both federal and state legislators, senators, House of Representatives, CFTC commissioners, what more could you ask for? Yes, I'm not just promoting this. I'll be attending the event in Austin, hanging out with my Texas Bitcoin buddies, and interviewing someone very important on stage. So make sure you book your ticket, come to the event, let's hang out. To find out more, head over to texasblockchainsummit.org and use the discount code PETERMC20 for a 20% discount at checkout and let them know that I sent you. This offer is valid until the end of October. Next up, it is BCB Group. BCB Group provide online business banking services for companies in the Bitcoin industry. And yes, I am a customer of BCB too. They heard about my difficulty with finding a payment services provider that understands Bitcoin and reached out to me. Now, BCB's clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds, and miners active in the UK and Europe, but they are expanding globally. They have an amazing network called Blink, which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients and all supported currencies. Now, listen, I know some of you have had some trouble with this, like me. And if you are looking for a banking provider who understands and supports Bitcoin companies rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you want to become a BCB customer. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter, which is bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter. Next up is my new sponsor, Wasabi, who I will be now using to make sure my Bitcoin is private and I'm very excited about using their software. With the release of Wasabi 2.0, Bitcoin privacy is now effortless as the wallet has introduced privacy by default. Now, rather than having to choose to coin join, this can all be done automatically. So you just need to receive your Bitcoin, wait for the coin join, and then you can spend freely All the magic happens automatically in the background, which is a massive UX improvement. You also get additional privacy through Tor integration into Wasabi 2.0, so you don't leak your IP address. And there are no more minimum denominations, so you can coin join any amount, and there is no more change. So any amount you receive from a coin join is private. Privacy is something I've been taking more seriously recently... And with Wasabi 2.0, this has made it so much easier. So definitely go and check it out. If you want to find out more, please head over to wasabiwallet.io, which is W-A-S-A-B-I-W-A-L-L-E-T.io. Also, today we have Gemini, who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I'm only ever buying. Come on, we're hodlers. We're not sellers. I'm also using the Gemini app for buying the dips, and I've been buying a lot of those recently. And I've also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. Both the app and the website make buying and selling Bitcoin super easy, and Gemini has invested in building industry-leading security since day one. Gemini are now also running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did, All you need to do is head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD, which is G-E-M-I-N-I dot com forward slash WBD. Yeah, I'm trying to find one of your, yeah. um, I think uh, you quoted uh, Ambrose Beer's. Have I pronounced that correctly? You have and this is i think the problem with uh, what you said is a strife of interests masquerading as a contest, contest of principles
0: yes i think that is i think that pretty much sums up american politics yeah it
1: did give me hope though when i when um, senator Columbus and senator Gillibrand actually came together and put forward a bill and that's that's the promise of bitcoin is to unite yeah and that kind of gave me a bit of hope because we don't have the polarization that you have here in the UK. I mean, we have intense debates in, uh, in Parliament, um, but there are things that parties unite on. Um, they, there wasn't a massive polarization around COVID. The, uh, the Shadow Cabinet pretty much supported the government with their decisions. We don't need to debate whether it was right or wrong. I think we're way past that. But uh, And they would challenge the government on their decision, but they largely supported. There is no difference on Ukraine. They're both parties are kind of largely agreed, but will challenge on ideas and policy. We don't have that political division. And and I, I've i often wrestled with why, why don't we have it? I actually think it comes down to the media. You,
2: you'll... I, I really think that, like politicians go on media here, like they'll go on the BBC or, and they'll be really challenged on either side. And I don't think you have that as much in the US. Like politicians stick to their like Republicans will go on Fox. I don't think they 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 sort of challenge each other nearly the same.
1: It feels like in the US, it's more like sports and teams, and you support your team. And uh, if you go on Fox, it's, it's a platform. Yeah. Whereas yeah. in the UK, I mean, people will argue the political bent of the BBC or Sky News, but they're still fairly down the middle at times, and they will speak to both parties, and they will challenge them. And I think that's why we don't have as much polarization.
0: Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with your point, Danny. I was, and to that point, I, was, I saw a chart on Twitter the other day. Um, it was about the, the reading level of the average American, and the comprehension level was of the, of the average American. It was something around like a, like, a, like a sixth or seventh grade reading level, which of course affects... You wait, know, wait,
2: that's of the average American?
0: Yeah, it was a. It's a, the average American basically has. I mean, it was it was like a comprehension rate, like the ability to. It's, I think the chart is from. I want to say Josh Wolf. I saw it retweeted by a, a different account, but but basically, just the point, just being that I think the media is pretty well aware that um, you know you're not. I mean, it's a pretty obvious point. You're not going to get the the amount of clicks and and eyeballs that are necessary to to make money by writing nuanced, thoughtful, um, really sort of deeply researched uh, you know, pieces on various issues and kind of working through them in a rigorous way. It's much, um, much more profitable and it's going to just reach more, more viewers and sort of where they are in terms of comprehension ability to kind of just say inflammatory things. And,
2: yeah. I don't know if a this is the way. thing that you, uh, you were talking about, but it says here, yeah, reads at seventh, eighth grade, eighth grade level. Oh, yeah, it's a different Sharpie. Yeah,
0: same, similar. Wow. Which I think is really, really kind of scary.
1: We, there's a similar thing with the sun. Well, the sun. I mean, The Sun is an absolute shit rag tabloid here. Yeah. Uh, by the way, don't buy The Sun. Um, but they have a uh, a reading age that they Right for I can't remember what it, what it is. Is that true? I've not heard that. Yeah, but they I mean, do. They have. They have set. like, and when you read, when you understand, it's like it's maybe like ten or twelve year olds. Once you understand that and you read it, it, kind of kind of makes sense. Yeah,
0: that's what the chart was was kind of getting at that that I was referring to is that is that people write to that uh, like the media writes to that level.
1: Well, it's why recently I've um I've gone kind of full circle on the BBC. Um, so the BBC is challenging in that it's kind of state funded. Okay so but it isn't like a Russian state news channel it I mean, it's funded by it's not funded by the state it's well it's it's coordinated by the state funded by the taxpayer yeah um it's not controlled by the government but there's there's obviously influence when i first discovered bitcoin i came to think well f- fuck the bbc it's you know state managed state controlled state coordinated whatever you want we want fiercely independent journalism yada yada but actually one of the things i've come to realize is that because it is state-controlled, it has a duty to try and uh, give a fair representation of all parties. They also have this onerous um, complaints procedures where if it's felt that it's not being independent, they have to investigate. And yes, it has its inherent flaws, but it it also is a different way of being able to have the news represented to you than, say, something which is owned by Rupert Murdoch, which really mm-hmm. is at the whims of what his objectives are. I mean, I don't think there is a perfect model. I think well, I think the best model now are independent journalists who are independently financed who haven't been audience captured. Yeah. That's to me the best. But if you want to talk about mainstream, I think that there are benefits to being able to look at the news through multiple lenses. I will get flamed for this, but
2: but you you I mean you defend I mean, it. I, I definitely defend it and I'd actually push back that independent um journalists, whatever you want to call them, are a stronger source of truth. I think that's probably not true.
1: No, they can. And what I mean is that that's, that is a, not always, but they can be. And... Yeah, I think
0: maybe to Danny's point, it might be a matter of you can have kind of the cream of the crop of that, like like the folks that you were saying, Pete. And, but there's also, because the barrier of entry for doing that is also so low that anybody can kind of just hop onto a substack and yeah, do it, that exactly. you, you actually have a like an ocean of noise mm-hmm. around these very... Mm-hmm. Um, you know these very strong voices that are that are, I guess, you know, signal. Um, but just the the amount of noise that is present then is is perhaps even greater.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's not that the BBC are flawless; they're certainly not. But I think there's some really good journalists and some really good work by and by a lot of organisations, not just the BBC.
1: Yeah, and uh, there's some very like I'm a huge fan of John Simpson. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's head of. News at the BBC. I wrote to him when I was a seven-year-old, and he wrote back to me. So I've always been a fan. But like, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of his as a journalist and as a you know, historical war reporter. I think he's one of the best. But then the BBC has historically has some great reporters. It does have, um, you know, it does have to play to the crowd. The the, the latest cultural, what is culturally acceptable it definitely is a little bit more left than right. I, I think you would agree with that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's not far off being one of the most centrist outlets, but it probably does lean a little bit S- left. Yeah.
1: slightly left to center. I I'd wonder what the bias check websites would say about mm-hmm. it. I'd say it's kind of left to center, but equally to the other side, you've got Sky News, which is kind of right to center. And Sky, Sky News as a Murdoch owned entity mm-hmm. uh, is less propaganda uh, uh, promoting than say Fox News. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you, I, you, I think you can get a good balance between the two of those, as long as you've got a lot of uh, common sense with avoiding their bullshit.
2: That's where they put it. Yeah,
1: so you just, just left a center. Yeah. What, what does it say for Sky News? Who fact-checks these? <laughs> <laughs> who facts the check? fact checkers who f- fact-check the fact-checkers. Yeah, so we're just looking at um, media bias fact-check, and it's got BBC just left. Huh? Interesting. Interesting. GB News must be the balance. <laughs> I was... I, I, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I'm
0: trying to think of what in America would be considered only slightly left of center or only slightly the, right of yeah, center. Yeah. <laughs> I was
1: going to say, we're going to look at Fox News now. Because... Yeah. Look at that. And then... Um, so for anyone
2: listening, Fox News is considered right almost to extreme.
1: Yeah. It's the, so the, the chart is least biased, right-center, right-extreme, or least biased, left-center, left-extreme. And it's it's right of right, so it's approaching extreme right. Factual reporting, it's stated, is mixed. Um, actually, have a look at um, CNN, to be fair. I I I, um, I actually think these websites are pretty good.
2: I mean, it just gives you a bit of a lens. Yeah, Again,
1: it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty much nice. as uh, CNN is also mixed on it's factual kind of
2: reporting. It's a mirror image just to the left. Guardian's yeah. definitely left. Yeah, but well, that's very left, yeah. Yeah. But that would be probably our most left wing outlet, do you think, in the UK?
1: Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. And it still has some good reporting, but you just you I mean, have
2: to some terrible reporting on Bitcoin. Though.
1: Well, yeah, but it, it, you know, it has yeah has some good reporting. Indeed. But so so what you what you notice there is somebody who travels back and forth between the US and the UK is I see this extreme polarization, and then you have these extreme uh, biases in the news. And I find coming back here, we don't have this extreme polarization. The debate is a lot more. I think is a lot more civil, and I think people are. A lot, a lot more willing to give up on certain ideas or concede mm-hmm. and i think our news is a lot more balanced and i don't know how you solve that i don't know i mean bring back the fairness doctrine or
0: yeah i don't know i think the the media question is is really thorny i'm not sure i have any good good solutions to that problem i think just from the political angle i mean to me an obvious uh thing that would help would just be introduce term limits yeah um i think that's a glaringly obvious, uh, I am not, I'm not. I don't think it solves everything. I don't think it's kind of a magic cure or a panacea or anything, but but I do think anything that we can do to kind of reorient um, the incentive structure would be helpful. And I think term limits is, is um, would certainly do some significant uh, cleanup of, of some of the incentives that currently exist.
1: Is there any appetite for that?
0: There actually is, you know, interestingly enough, I think, um, you know, maybe we could check this, but I—I'm I, pretty sure that at both AOC and Ted Cruz, interestingly enough, have—I think they both agree on that. Um, I want to say I—I kind of vaguely recall a tweet from Ted Cruz. that was a quote tweet of AOC in which he said, "You know, I—I actually agree with you on this. You know, let's do something about it." Um, I could be wrong, but—but uh, but I do—I do think there's some appetite for it. Um, obviously not significant enough that, that we've had any meaningful traction on it thus yeah. far
1: I think that one and the um, just a completely separate point but the uh, not allowing people in Congress to be trading <laughs> in the stock market I think that's a, another one that also se- also seems obvious yeah, yeah. Um, shout out to Nancy Pelosi yeah absolutely crushing it <laughs> 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 um, yeah we made a bit of a detour there but yeah so let's 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 bring it back so just Tell a bit of the story. So you were a Bernie supporter. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I don't mind Bernie. Well, I'll tell you what I like about Bernie's consistency.
0: Yeah, that's that's how I feel. I I still feel that way. I mean, I'm not, I don't consider myself um, a Bernie Sanders, you know, political supporter right now. Um, But I certainly do. I have respect for Bernie, um, certainly for his consistency. Um, He doesn't seem to me as compromised. or as captured as as most other politicians, which I very much appreciate. And I think, I think Bernie has pretty much nailed, um, sort of, he's kind of nailed the fact that obviously there is an enormous problem. Um, I just think the solutions that uh, I think he's treating the symptoms or trying to treat the symptoms instead of treating the the source of the problem. But I do think he's kind of spot on that you know kind of that we have this major issue um, around. Wealth inequality um, in America, among other things. Uh, so, I think it's he's worth respecting for a number of reasons.
1: Yeah, his, his consistency was something. Uh, I mean, if I was American, I don't think I, I don't think I could vote for him. But I, I did like his consistency. He Just seems to want to give too much away for free, <laughs> like free education, free health, and like I admire it. Like as uh, somebody who has a you know, healthcare system here that is healthcare system for, I think is great. But there seems to be a lot of things, you know, free childcare, free healthcare, free uh, education, like free higher education. There's there's a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Why is it like, somebody doesn't fully understand politics, why, my understanding is the DNC blocks him running, having the opportunity to become president. Is that true?
0: Oh, in 2016, the stuff with Hillary. Yeah, I mean... You know, my understanding of the DNC and, you know, I don't think this is a, a perfect understanding, but I mean, I know that there was, it seemed obvious that the, I guess the, the quote unquote establishment Democrats, um, their kind of desired candidate was obviously Hillary Clinton. My understanding of it is that there was certainly some behind closed doors, some kind of like an influence campaign to, to ensure that, um, that this upstart Bernie Sanders that nobody kind of saw coming in 2016, when everybody thought Hillary was just going to cruise to the nomination to kind of prevent him from, um, you know, from, from winning and taking, taking it from Hillary at the end. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure of all the details of what happened there. Yeah. I'm not sure I want to know all the details of what happened there.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, listen, let's, um, let's get into this. I've got, um, I've taken a lot of quotes out from you, but let's talk about this trust idea. If you can kind of explain because you said you um, you had to, on part of your journey was confronting the idea of trust in politics. And that's something similar that I've had to do, because you're going know, into this Bitcoin world, as somebody who vocally defends and champions democracy, that comes with uh, certain criticisms. So, you know, I've had to reflect that myself, and in reflecting that, I've realized, actually, there was, there's a lot of wrong with, with politics. Can you talk to me about that journey you went on with us?
0: Sure, I think with respect to trust, for me personally, for the longest time, um, politically, my view, and I think a lot of people um, who would consider themselves liberal or Democrats or progressives or whatever version of that um, in the u s would probably agree that I always thought that you know it was a, it was a person it was a personnel issue, that if you could just get the right person, the right human being into office. That you could then trust—it was you could trust that person then to make all of the correct decisions or the decisions that were aligned with, you know, the policies that uh, that you wanted to see enacted. And the more, the deeper that I I got into Bitcoin, um, when I started to sort of develop different opinions as to where I thought the source of a lot of our problems was and how most politicians were mislocating the source of the problems. You know, it just started, and I think this. Maybe if you're somebody who starts from a, a different political inclination or perspective, this might be more obvious to you um, from the outset. But it started to become very obvious to me that that it, it's it's certainly a mistake, I think, to put all of your just just trust into let's just change the personnel, and then one one because you know the the personnel is always going to be changing. So I mean, you could put you know, and this is kind of what goes on now is we put the Republicans go in for for four or eight years and they do some stuff and then the Democrats come in, undo all that, do some stuff. The Republicans come in, you know, and and undo all that. And we just kind of keep, you know, it's like putting blocks on the board and then taking them off. Um, but also, I just think the, the sort of surface area for human error to occur um, when it comes to to policy, particularly monetary policy, is so expansive and so large that I think Bitcoin kind of Shrinking that and and making it so that you don't have to trust the decision making of human beings as much on at least this one particular issue of kind of the the, the structure of the monetary system itself, um, I think is useful. It's a it's a tool. I think. I don't again. I don't think it's a, a solution to everything, but I think it is potentially helpful. I mean, I got a lot of pushback from that. Um, what's his name, Ro- Rohan Gray or whatever, the, the Willamette Law guy who mm. um, was before Congress. I mean, he he accused me of basically being a fascist for, um, for or he said that I had taken a hard right turn, um, which I thought was interesting, so did my wife.
1: Why? Um,
0: I think it's because, I mean, I know that there's some criticism as to, from from the left, I think, is if you basically remove the ability to manipulate the money that you know you remove the ability, basically you remove the rescue function, like the rescue button. If, if you take that button away, regardless of the long term harm that using that button repeatedly, over and over again, and more and more frequently, um, can uh, the harm that that can cause long term? That if you remove it altogether, it's you know you're dooming people to to bad outcomes ultimately.
1: Well, the. Rescue button has been abused. Yes. <laughs> and the balance of surplus and deficits has now only... It's become just a case of deficit and more deficit. And I think that is one of the major issues is that it's... Like, if it was a rescue button, if it was Katrina, we need to you know, rebuild New Orleans, if it was... COVID, and we, again, we're not debating the rights or wrongs of COVID, but if it was COVID, it was like, you know, it should be there to support and rescue people at times of hardship. It's it's a, you know, it's a rainy day fund. It's mm-hmm. We all have it, um, but it's become a, it's become a um, keep yourself elected fund.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I certainly agree. It's absolutely been been overused. I think, you know, I, I've been thinking about this a little bit as well. I, I do think there are probably ways to, I don't think the only way to step in and do, I guess, "quote unquote" rescue stuff, is to just is the way that we've been the way that we've been doing it. I mean, I think that there are ways that you could have sort of money set aside, perhaps, and um, you know, creative ways that that you could have some resources available or just be more prepared generally, such that you don't have to kind of hit the button the way that we've been doing it. Um, so I, don't, I mean, I think people like like Rohan or other people like him, you know, would say that the only way that we can do this is the way that we've been doing it historically, which is just to kind of expand the money supply and helicopter money, stuff like that. But I'm, I'm confident that there are other more creative ways to, you know, not allow uh, or to, to be able to provide resources when it is necessary that doesn't also necessarily involve, um, you know, expanding the money supply um, which is, of course, going to just
1: compound the problem. Yeah, and do, make it worse. do you know Ovik Roy?
0: Yes, I do. Did yeah. you listen
1: to my show with him?
0: I did. That was a great show.
1: Yeah. So, for someone like Rohan Gray, I would forward him uh, Ovik's article, and maybe Ovik's interview, and say, I fully understand why you think you need this rescue button, but now you need to understand that this has a compounding impact on the people you think you're helping. And if you continue to use this, you're going to continue to widen the wealth gap.
0: Yeah, yeah. I view the rescue button as kind of like, I think I've probably written this somewhere. I view it as kind of like, a it's like the painkiller way to address problems where it's like, you know, if I had a health issue and you just kind of pharmacologically intervened, that would alleviate my symptoms for a period of time and I would prob- I'd probably feel better. Um, but if you don't actually cure the disease or or, you know, treat the... The bacteria, or you don't more holistically improve my my lifestyle and my environment, um, such that I actually get healthier instead of just feel sick less, then then you're not really solving the problem, and I think that that's you're just delaying it, and you're just sort of kicking the consequences down the road farther, and then you know there's a much larger problem down the road that maybe the intervention required is obviously greater, and then we just you know we all know where that ends. I think that's where my big pharma um, comparison is that's kind of what I, where I was thinking there,
1: yeah, one of the things i I was trying to wonder with politics trying to fix uh, the problem of you know poor fiscal policy uh, for poor monetary policy would be to tie the use of the budget and the spend of the party to snap elections. so if you're if you were to go over budget, you would be required to face a snap general election. and, I may be trying to simplify something that shouldn't be simplified, but I think of it as um, both in terms of my company and my home life. I have a mortgage, I have bills to pay, I have food to buy, my set of bills, and then I earn money. And if I have extra money, I can go on holiday. And if I don't, my option is to get a loan, but I have to pay back that loan or I lose my house. Same with the business. You know, I have staff to pay cost to pay. If I want to expand the business, I take a loan. If I don't pay that back, I lose my business. Um, If you offered me a uh, a loan facility, which I never have to pay back and I can use whenever I want, I'm going to live in the best house. I'm going to get my football team in the Premier League and I'm going to drive a Lamborghini. I mean, it's just, I can do that. And the problems with politicians is they have access to a infinite loan facility of which other people to pay the consequences far, much further down the line. So, I, I would, I would absolutely support, absolutely support a political system where the government has a budget, and if they go over their budget, they face a snap election, and we get to decide whether we want to continue with this, and it puts some responsibility on them, or maybe other ways. I just think, I think people need to face the consequences of overspending as as a political party.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I definitely. Agree. There's a certain level of transparency, I think, you know, monetarily that we in our personal lives are able to, to exercise, you know, you said in your, in your personal life, you know, in your business, it's, it's all very transparent. You face those consequences immediately. I mean, if you, if you don't have the money to pay Danny, you know, Danny's going to be, he's probably gonna let you know about it. Um, you know, if you, you know, default on your mortgage and your bank's gonna let you know about it. And there, there are kind of immediate consequences there. Um, and i think i mean this is you know gladstein has written about this with respect to 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 conflict and war and stuff like that where if you just remove the accountability component and you remove the transparency then you know you can kind of you, you pay for anything and there just isn't any there's there's just a moral hazard there
1: that this create. is where this is the choice between war bonds or money printing right Right. if you create the war bonds like, well we don't yeah. want to pay those war yeah, bonds maybe not yeah 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 I, no i can i completely agree so it's 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 very i'm going <laughs> to I've got so many of your quotes this this one I wrote wow 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 but I think mainly because I of uh, the the length of the sentence as well <laughs> so I want to read this one back to you let's see if I can do this without making a mistake we should also be cognizant of the last and potentially irreversible harms that can be wrought by entrusting control over the money supply to the vicissitudes of short-sighted partisan manipulations and or hasty ill-conceived and sometimes dubiously motivated lawmaking undertaken by those whose knowledge of elementary monetary concepts is often not obviously more advanced than that of the average high school or undergraduate student. Apart from suggesting a bit more grammar, (laughs) I fucking love that. I mean, that is a takedown.
0: Well, I'm under strict instructions from my wife, Pete, to not be too long-winded today. Um, So I'll try (laughs) to put it in more more concise terms.
1: Let's stop letting idiots make decisions about money.
0: Yes. Yes. Or I think, you know, the, I think, um, the monetary system is so fundamental to everything. Um, and I just think the, again, the, the incentive structure of, of, of politicians making these decisions is so, is so bad, um, that, and the issue is, is just so important, um, that I think, you know, the, the
2: motivations, um, it kind of comes back to this, right? Oh, yeah. This is a poll in 2017 that showed that 85% of MPs in the UK don't know where money comes from.
1: The of the, let me read it. The results of the new poll of MPs reveal a worrying lack of understanding of the UK's money and banking system across the House of commons. The poll finds that only 15% of MPs are aware of how most money is created in the modern economy. <laughs> only 15% of MPs were aware that new money created, is created when banks make loans. And existing money is destroyed when members of the public repay loans.
0: I would imagine this is probably similar in the U.S. as well. I mean, if you just listen to um, to most politicians speak publicly about this sort of thing, I mean, it's pretty pretty obvious that um, they're not spending a ton of time um, digging into that. But it's an issue that's so that's so fundamentally important and has so many reverberations across every aspect of our lives. Especially looking long term, I mean, this is the type of thing that, if done incorrectly, destroys societies entirely, uh, historically speaking. And so, I think in trusting that to, or we should at least be asking questions about um, the, the, the wisdom of entrusting that to human beings who are on this very uh, kind of short-term cycle of just wanting to get reelected every two years, every six years, or every four years, if you're the president, and whether the motivations um, of those individuals aligns with, you know, long-term, what we as citizens for, for ourselves, for our children, and for our grandchildren, how we would like to see things play out and the world that we would like to live in um and the health and and sustainability and um of that world.
1: Well this is where I'm gonna probably contradict myself because as somebody supports democracy, I also recognize as you have here, that we've got we're entrusting really important decisions into people who have no experience in making some of these decisions. And the compound effect can be huge. Like i I mean we've seen that with countries that have been destroyed and lives have been destroyed through bad decisions. You know, sometimes just a few small bad decisions. We, you know, we don't allow this with uh, the engineering of airplanes or the piloting of airplanes. Right. We don't entrust people in terms of a child care who don't have experience in child care. We're like, we, we want the people who understand what they're doing and all these fields of responsibility. But then in the era of politics, we sometimes are picking based on personality, less so experience. And then, when you think about it, it's kind of strange. Like, how do we get more experienced people into these roles?
0: Yeah, I think it's really it's it's kind of a complex problem. I think there's certainly an expertise issue. Um, at the same time, I think the I think I wrote about this a little bit too. I mean, I think the amount of of topics um, that we expect our representatives to have uh, a competent command of is is kind of astronomical um, at this point. So. And I think the same is true for, for the executive branch, for the president as well, that the, the sheer amount of responsibilities and the amount of uh, the, the different areas that we demand um, a certain level of competence and expertise is almost, I mean, it's kind of impossible. So I think if there are ways to, for lack of a better word, outsource some of those um, a little bit in order to kind of, like I said earlier, sort of reduce that surface area on which human error can kind of play and wreak havoc. Uh, I think it's worth asking the question of whether that would be something that would be useful. And I think Bitcoin is is unique because you know it's not like you're you're offloading it or or outsourcing it to a different group of people who are maybe similarly compromised or have their own set of of issues. Um it's to a protocol that doesn't really have those issues, which is one of the things that I think makes Bitcoin. So you know, I think the way that Bitcoin has all these interesting interplays with with our current political system is just endlessly fascinating t- to me.
1: Well, it forces bottom up thinking.
0: Yeah, I think certainly it certainly does, and I think yeah, just it sort of reveals um, this sort of like I was saying earlier the incoherence um, of the way that we currently think about politics, and I think it's our last best chance probably to. You know there are a lot of people who talk about wanting to transcend the two party system. Uh, I know that Andrew Yang talks about that all the time now, mm-hmm. and uh, which I think is is useful. But I think, like you were saying, you almost have to force that from the bottom up. You can't just implement that from the top down. And just say, hey, we're starting a, a third party or you know a different uh, the the sort of energy for that. And there needs to be a groundswell from the from the bottom. And I think that Bitcoin is probably at least as as in my lifetime, by far the most interesting and promising way to potentially do that. And I'm kind of of the view where I'm not particularly optimistic about us solving a lot of major problems, as long as we're, as long as we continue to be constrained by the two-party system as it currently exists. So anything that, that meaningfully challenges that, um, I think we should be we should be spending time with and looking at. I think Bitcoin is that.
1: Like a, it's like Nick Carter said. It's like this peaceful revolution.
0: Exactly, and and that's a that's a great piece. Um, and yeah, I would agree with that entirely.
1: I think um, we we had uh, Matthew Mashinsky in here today, uh, today a few days ago, and um, he's based based out in Eastern Europe. He's uh, American, Latvian, and wanted to, he wanted to talk a lot about uh, what's happening in Russia and Ukraine. Um, and one of the things that really stuck with me is. Uh, his view and very much supporting uh, sanctions and supporting the high levels of pressure that have been put on Russia because it is a uh, it is a gangster state with a psychopathic dictator attacking the, attacking a sovereign country. Mm-hmm. And he said the only way, you know, one of the only ways that you will get change is if you can force for revolution within. And the only way Russians can do that is if they have the world closed to them because of the decisions by. Putin, And that's that's the revolution there. Our revolution is this, is this, we're just going to use a different form of money. We're going to adopt this and hopefully bring more and more people into it, and have these fairer rules. And hopefully, with that, we kind of, we, uh... And, we, and you know, we're kind of seeing, we're seeing the kind of... Uh, not, not so much in the UK, there's a couple of signals, but we're seeing the shoots of promise with politics in the US, in that people have... Genuinely starting to care about Bitcoin. I know there's some who are just saying it because it's a hack, but there are some politicians who genuinely seem to care about Bitcoin and see the benefit it brings. So it, the shoots of promise that we're starting to see it.
0: Yeah, I definitely think there are some heartening signs, um, and I think, and, and I do think it's part of. I, I think politicians are incentivized, kind of almost on a on a time lag, whereas where. You don't have as much incentive to kind of change your mind um, quickly, but you know if if you're sort of receiving you know all kinds of you know calls and interest from your constituents about something like say Bitcoin, um, then you know that's when you, maybe you're gonna you're more incentivized to take take a look at it. But I think that occurs kind of on a lag because you know it takes time for the general populace to to get on board with Bitcoin as well or to become just increasingly educated about Bitcoin. Uh, so I think they're are heartening signs. I do think the Lummis Gillibrand thing is is heartening. I think particularly for for Gillibrand, there's more kind of risk for her because the FUD around Bitcoin is much more. I mean, if you're a Republican, you know the environmental FUD, you don't really care. So there's not really a lot of risk for you to to be yeah, sure, Bitcoin's great. Um, but for somebody like Gillibrand, there's there's more risk there. So I applaud her for uh, for being willing to undertake that
1: from the people behind sportsbet.io, we have BitCasino. So they are now running a very cool competition where you can join me at the North London Derby, Arsenal v Tottenham, hopefully to see Arsenal absolutely spank Tottenham. Now they have created a Bitcoin box at the Emirates Stadium and they're going to be giving away two tickets to the match. It's on October the 1st and to find out how to enter, just check out their pinned tweet at twitter.com forward slash bitcasinoio. That is twitter.com forward slash B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O-I-O. Also, please remember to gamble responsibly. Next up today, we have Ledin. Now, from savings accounts to personal loans and even mortgages, Ledon's financial services enable Bitcoiners to experience the benefits of holding today without selling their Bitcoin. With the recent events in the lender market, Leden demonstrated that their robust risk management strategy was the right approach. They don't actively trade or invest in DeFi yield generation and have experienced zero losses as a result of their strategy. Ledin only supports Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. They're also dedicated to Transparency, and are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation, which they re-verify every six months. With multilingual support on standby 24-7, Ledin is there to support all your needs, and not only Ledin are a sponsor, I am also a customer of theirs now. I am using their services. So if you want to find out more, please head over to ledin.io, which is L-E-D-N dot Next up, it's the Pacific Bitcoin Conference, hosted by Swan Bitcoin on November the 10th and 11th this year in sunny Los Angeles. Now, I've known Corey, Yan and Brady for years, and they've been pulling out all the stops to make the Pacific Bitcoin Conference a celebration of the Bitcoin community, I'm going to be emceeing the conference alongside my friends, Natalie Brunel and Stefan Avera, And there's going to be an incredible lineup of speakers, including Lynn Alden, Alex Glastine and Preston Pish. Now, Pacific Bitcoin is going to be the right mix of education and good fun with unique experiences. They've got a surfing simulator and loaded with other events and parties before and after the event. They're bringing the brightest minds in Bitcoin to discuss a range of topics from macro to nation estate adoption, mining, and lightning. And you're not going to want to miss this inaugural Pacific Bitcoin Conference. I know it's going to be a special event. Now, Swan are offering a huge 30% discount to listeners of the show. Just go to PacificBitcoin.com and use the code PETA at checkout. That is P-A-C-I-F-I-C-B-I-T-C-O-I-N.com and use the code PETA. Also, today we have Ledger. Now, recent events have highlighted just how important self-custody is. And Ledger is the smartest and easiest way for you as a Bitcoiner to take control of your Bitcoin. And the world's most popular hardware wallet just got better. Ledger have recently announced the launch of the new Nano S+. The larger screen makes it easier to manage and verify your Bitcoin transactions. And the Nano S Plus maintains the same high level of security as all other Ledger products. Now, I have been a Ledger customer since 2017, and I absolutely love the S Plus. Now, if you want to find out more, if you want to check this out, if you want to purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to shop.ledger.com, which is S H O P dot L E D G E R dot com. When you started thinking about how, um, You've got to treat the root cause of the problem. You know, that kind of flip you had, and, and how Bitcoin can do that. Have you practically thought about the reality of that? What that actually means, like, and how integrated Bitcoin needs to become within the system. Do you see it as a check and a balance? Do you see it operating alongside the dollar? Do you think long term it is the only form of money? Because that they're some of the like bigger, more interesting questions that that I'm trying to like work through at the moment. Because I, I. I'm not sure I see a world of just hyper-Bitcoinization where we have this single hard currency. I, 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 do, I see we get to... Well, certainly in my lifetime, and maybe a few lifetimes, it's we have both a hard and soft currency working together.
0: Yeah, I I think I see it. Uh, I I think I do think about this a lot, but it's... And I'm not sure anybody ultimately knows how this is going to play out. Um, But I agree with you that I see I think there will probably be a combination of hard and soft money, and I think that the hard money will kind of check the soft money. I, I think it does sort of operate in a checks and balances type of way, where basically, if 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 the soft money kind of goes off the rails, um, it, there will be kind of a check there, and and currencies will 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 fail um, if they uh, sort of just just go nuts. Um, but it's it is admittedly difficult for me to envision a world where we are, where it is just Bitcoin. Um, and maybe, maybe, you know, I could, I am very much willing to admit I could, I could absolutely be wrong there. I think everybody is is speculating in terms of this, this uh, discussion, um, but it is difficult there. You know, some of the hyper-Bitcoinization arguments to me are just, are kind of utopian um, and, and to me, and sort of at times so glaringly, obviously utopian as to be, totally, you know, willfully blind to, I think, a lot of other, of other variables.
1: And possibly also take too many jumps at once. Yes. I mean, even, even, even if you're right, even if, even if we have hyper-Bitcoinization, there's a lot of steps between now and then. And, and on that journey, there's implications for people of that happening. We don't know if it's currency collapses. And I wrestle with this, like, I wrestle with the implications of a transition to Bitcoin and knowing there will be negative externalities to some people. It Certainly. may lead to uh, a different type of wealth equality. It may lead to conflict. It may lead to a lot of, like, quite a lot of mess. And I I, I think it's important to, to think through these steps, not just allow these things, just wait and see what happens. Yeah, and I
0: agree. One of the things that actually kind of annoys me a lot, and I, I wouldn't expect to be torched for this as well, is some of the
1: we're going to be burning down in flames. Yeah, I. it's going to be bad. It's been um, Danny's
2: fault. <laughs> well, I talked about the BBC, so I'm fucked. <laughs> yeah, all fucked. <laughs>
0: But I think so. Sometimes the when you were saying Pete, about like the the leaps that that get taken sort of all at once. I mean, I think when people say things, um, I, I wrote something about this a little while ago. But when people say things like, "Oh, you know, it's just it's just game theory," and just like us, you know, let's. Just assume that uh, working under the assumption that that Bitcoin is obviously going to take over the world, be the only currency, et cetera, et cetera, and just kind of going from there and taking that as an actual unchallenged premise, um, I think is is a little nuts. I mean, I think it, and again, it reminds me of because it is very kind of seductive in theory, and it's 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 kind of an eloquent um, or elegant. Theory to say, oh well, you know, if this domino falls, then then this one will, and it's just this game theory will just play out, and it works on paper. But again, so does Marx's theory of history, basically on paper. Um, and you know, people, there are you know, students on college campuses right now who are basically saying, oh well, you know, soon there will be an uprising, and we'll all realize that um, you know capitalism doesn't work, and then you know we'll we'll do this. I mean, it's basically. That's not that far from what Bernie Sanders' campaign was, and it it makes sense. It resonates a lot because there's there's a lot of truth in the diagnoses there. Um, but as as I think we saw with you know the Bernie Sanders campaign and its and its inability to to ultimately win for a number of different reasons, there there were a bunch of other variables that came into play there. And I also think for every you know, country who's who's experimented with some version of socialism or communism or whatever. Um, a lot of other variables, most of them very human variables, kind of come into play. And I think the same thing: why we wouldn't expect, um, you know, a road to quote-unquote hyper-Bitcoinization to include similar variables, um, like not expecting those along the way. I think is is uh, is naive, um, I guess to put it probably charitably.
1: <laughs> Do you? Um, you obviously uh, mix in different circles. You. Have you been testing your ideas? Have you been talking about this with other friends who may be on the more progressive side? And have you orange-pilled some?
0: Um, a f- I've, I've orange-pilled a few people close to me, um, working on, on others. It's kind of an ongoing process that you just do person to person. Um, I'm very lucky because my wife and I are totally on board together. Who was first? Um, I was first. Uh-huh. Um, she was not too far behind me though. And, uh, so that's, that's great. So we, we discuss it, we get to discuss it all the time.
1: And there's no point she's like, oh, okay, shut up about Bitcoin now.
0: I, th- you know, she is, um, she is a great human being. So she, if she thinks that, which I'm sure that she does at <laughs> certain points, she doesn't, <laughs> she doesn't verbalize it.
1: What does she think of you flying out here to um, do a Bitcoin interview? <laughs> uh,
0: she thought it was incredible. She was, she was, um, yeah, very, very supportive and, uh, so you know, she's a fan of your show as well.
1: Well, next time we're out there, we'll uh, we'll try and meet up with her. Yeah. But yeah, so in testing with some of your friends.
0: Yeah, some. You know, uh, I think Jason Mayer was talking about this a little bit. I mean, it's for some of my friends, it's challenging with the environmental piece. Yeah, um, and I think it's challenging because that's just a longer conversation, and it's a it's a more nuanced conversation that is required to to convey the ways in which. Bitcoin um, is is potentially actually quite useful for um, addressing issues with the climate. It's not one of the. There's not kind of a, you know, a, I guess a, a pithy way to to convey that. You kind of have to sit down with them, you know, over you know a drink or or a meal or something, and say, I need an hour of your time, probably um, to maybe I'm um, just to talk more than others, but it, it takes a while to kind of get into the details of it.
1: Yeah, the the climate one is particularly tricky for, for a couple of reasons, because there are other cryptocurrencies mm-hmm. and, that are actively using the this to, to kind of win favor with people, which is particularly challenging. Uh, I also think there's been some self-owns on the uh, climate side of things where people haven't properly thought through some ideas. We had Alex Epstein on the show, who I disagree with on a huge amount of things. But there are some important issues that he raises with regards to consideration for human flourishing and the impact of reducing energy supplies for people. We've got, uh, it's just in the news this week, talking about blackouts in the UK. Mm -hmm. This is Mm -hmm. an issue. We've got talks of blackouts in Germany. This is an issue. Sri Lanka is absolutely fucked. So I think there's been some cell phones that haven't particularly helped.
0: I would would 100% agree with that. You know, I think there hasn't been as much... Despite, I think some people would disagree with me here, but I I don't actually think there's been a ton of space in the in the the more progressive or I guess the Democrat side, for, um. For trying to figure out, trying to figure out how to walk that balance of like it's actually a geopolitical issue. Like energy security is is kind of an issue. There are a lot of geopolitical implications there. There are a lot of potentially national security implications mm-hmm. there. Um, and we we've seen you know, this sort of grip that, that Putin has because of energy over over most of Europe. It's a problem. You have like Germany sort of, you know, because, you know, they're not using nuclear. They're now firing up the coal plants again. And I guess there's some issues that should be talked about more in terms of obviously we want to transition to a more renewable future. I think most people agree that, well, I guess most people probably maybe don't agree, but uh, a lot of people would 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 probably say, yeah, sure. You know, eventually we should, it's probably a net positive um, for us to, I'm putting this like as conservatively as I can, for for us to, you know, move to a more renewable um, state of things. But the transition has to be orchestrated in a way that is not, you know, suicidal um, in terms of, you know, you don't want to introduce just massive, you know, national security issues or grants, geopolitical power to actors that are, um, you know, not great people with great intentions. And, you know, some of the, uh, you know, the most kind of energy rich places don't have the best, you know, leaders who are, you know, who care about stewarding global peace and and stuff like that. So, you know, I, and I, I do think that, the way that, that the left kind of in America talks about energy is it's kind of pretty much like the, oh, let's just, let's end all fossil fuels yesterday. yeah And, you know, transition to to renewables, you know, 100% in one hour. And it's, there are some major challenges to that. And it's, I don't think the response is saying, oh, let's just use fossil fuels forever. But there's, there's surely a better, more intelligent, thoughtful way to transition than what I think most of the West is kind of currently doing.
1: In terms of your legal work, well, I actually don't know your area of specialism.
0: Sure, so I was telling Danny before we started, right, currently um, I represent injured workers pretty exclusively. So, okay. So um, workers who, who get injured at work um, and their companies and their companies, insurance companies don't want to pay them uh, when they're off work and don't want to pay for their medical bills. Uh, I make sure that they're able to get treatment. Good man. Um, and, uh, you know, get their lost wages until they're healed and able to go back to work.
1: Um, so what are you working on now?
0: So I'm still uh, working very hard on the newsletter. But are you working on any
1: more long-form articles?
0: So I'm I'm writing one now about kind of... Um, it's about Bitcoin um, sort of versus Web3, but not in the sense that... Hello. Yeah, but it's not about... because. I think normally the 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 line of argument here is that oh everything Web three is just a, a Ponzi or a scam or whatever it's and I I do think there's having some regulation um, in place to to prevent people from just getting like outright scammed I think is important but I also think there's a balance between that and sort of just inviting Gary Gensler to come in and just sort of have his way um, with because uh, I don't think that's a little bit like inviting the you know the fox into the henhouse and expecting that to mm-hmm. to go well but anyways that's that's not the uh, it's not the angle that that I'm, that I'm taking that I'm writing about. Um, but to me, one of the most compelling things about Bitcoin, and I think the thing that I love about it the most is, I think we're living in a world of sort of, Bitcoin's aim is to kind of de a lot of stuff. Um, whereas Web3, I think is sort of, it seems like it's about kind of hyper-financializing things, which again, we're back to addressing the, we're back to the issue of whether you're addressing sources or symptoms of of problems, because I think most proponents of of web three would would suggest that, oh, what we're really doing is just democratizing, um, you know, the ways that people can accrue value or uh, make money. And, oh, isn't that a great, wonderful thing because everybody gets to sort of own things in their communities and everything is a liquid market. Um, But, you know, it's only, I'm more interested in asking the question: Is is the world that we want to live in one where um, we need to sort of hyperfinancialize every aspect of an individual's life? Because financial conditions on a macro level are such that you have to sort of financialize your 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 whole being in order to keep up or get ahead. Is that truly a victory for democracy and just for the kind of psycho spiritual well being of of all of us? Um, and the lives that that we want to live uh, versus something like Bitcoin that is kind of a definancializing force that basically says, okay, you know, because we think uh, a world might be better where you're actually able to save money and you don't just have to you know spend it or go invest or speculate on some stuff. Um, you know, would that unlock you know ways for you to feel uh, sort of more fulfilled or satisfied as a person, would you then be able to pursue, other things. I think ultimately the end of Bitcoin is that we all think collectively less about money and more about other things that we're interested in. Yeah, and I think for me, which I think is, I think the, yeah, I don't want to sort of kind of, I guess, you know, write the article on air here, but uh, but that's what I'm kind of fascinated by is because I think I'm interested in Bitcoin because I'm interested in so many other things and that I want to pursue other things. And our current economic environment is such that everybody has to be, because we can't save money, everybody has to be a full-time investor or a full-time speculator or, you know, just spending all your money all the time such that you don't, there's, you, there's something is lost um, in the human experience, I think, when that is what you're forced to do. And I think the promise of Bitcoin is saying, let's sort of deflate that balloon a little bit so that we can all focus maybe on more long-term things that we're interested in, um, things that we're uh, that we think are useful, that we would like to build or pursue, and I think, I think the downstream effects of that shift, I think that's the societally transformative stuff.
1: I was going to say that. Do you know what? that, Sorry to interrupt. That echoes what Anita Posh was saying the other day. So we had. A, do you know Anita?
0: I do. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So she spends a lot of time working out in Africa, and she was explaining uh, econ- that some of the issues that people have because of the dire state of the money system. And she said, one of the biggest problems is money is all you think about because you yes. wake up every day and uh, not only have you got to figure out how you can earn money so you can live and feed and survive your family but when you've got money you've got to spend it as quickly as possible if you're under massively high uh inflation because you know because it's going to buy you less shit at the end of the week she said so it just becomes this thing you all that's all you do you think about day in day out money 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 and and that does take away from the human experience you know, and this is this is why, by the way, I agree with a lot of the the libertarians as well. This like we need to all slow down.
0: Yeah, and I think, and even even in Western countries where you know you're the the money is, I guess, comparatively stable, and it's not you know an authoritarian, a brutal authoritarian regime. Um, even I think some of the, I guess, more Western maladies uh, that that afflict so many people here, I, I think would be addressed if, uh, if we could make it so that you didn't have to think about money every second of the day. I think things like depression, um, belonging, boredom, fulfillment. Um, you know, I think about these from the perspective of somebody who also whom I, mean, I spent most of my youth wanting to be, you know, an English professor, um, and talk about books and ideas and things like that. And I think, I also think that, uh, I wonder about the implications for if we were to to take steps towards I guess fixing the money and definancializing things, the implications for education um, and the implications for art and the types of intellectual discourse that we have in the country and if we just make everything a little bit less short term um, you know how would that change um, and how we interact with each other, what we talk about, what we value and, carry and care about. And, uh, and, and would that then trickle up instead of down, trickle up into policymakers? And you know, that might be a way of almost reverse engineering or kind of backdooring um, a world where, where more sort of human fulfillment, more aggregate human fulfillment is possible. I like it. I might be overly optimistic, but uh, that's kind but, of but where is my that, head's at.
1: It's that time preference thing.
0: It is, and I think it's kind of hard to over... I really think if you sit and think about the time preference thing, I I think it's hard to overstate um, the implications of adjusting that down.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm aware of it more than I've allowed it to actually change my life. It happens to some extent. Um, Yeah, I don't work the hours I used to work. And I certainly, if I do, I work on what I wanna work on. And I've, I've definitely seen it. I could do a better job. I'm on a journey.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, uh, and we all are.
1: But I, I, I definitely appreciate that idea of, you know, considering, just consideration of time itself anyway.
0: Yeah, totally. So I'm writing, writing about that. Um, I have a lot to say uh, about that. And then I'm um, also trying to, you know, it's, it's kind of occurred to me, you know, some, some different sort of, there's some educational holes and sort of different demographics that we could be educating about about Bitcoin. So I'm also working on, you know, creating some things uh, for some, you know, different groups of people who I think would would benefit from from knowing more about Bitcoin, but largely just trying to take this whole think Bitcoin thing more full time and d- uh, trying to <laughs> trying to work myself into the space on a.
1: I was just trying to say that. Basis. Do you know what? One of the um, this, this isn't related to you, but one of the uh, things that we take pleasure in is and we also feel a sense of responsibility is that we can help people with their uh desire to work in bitcoin so troy cross came, mm-hmm. who's been on the show and yeah, i love troy yeah we love troy and just seeing like what's happened with his life and career has been amazing and you has know, he left teaching yet i don't know was i was taking a year out i think he's taking some yeah. time yeah was he yeah a sabbatical of some kind but uh jason when jason reached out to us like he um yeah, he just had this idea for a book and he had like 30 followers on Twitter. But he wrote me a really great email. Mm-hmm. He sent, I'm pretty sure he sent me his folder structure when he was working. I was like, well, this book's needed. This is great. I tell you what, why don't you come on the show? And he was like a bit nervous. I said, just come on the show. He come, we were in Miami, so we, we flew him down and spent some time with him. And he was great. Now he's got, you know, his book's funded. He's... Uh, he's got all these followers on Twitter. And like, there may be a chance that he transitions out of teaching, which I kind of hope not because I, th- I think he likes it, but he might and do this full time. I'm uh, sure he's a great teacher too. Yeah. But that was the thing I was saying to you. Like, I kind of like got this sense from you as this interview went on that actually, like, are you feeling that pull just to want to work on Bitcoin full time?
0: I am absolutely feeling that pull. Um, yeah, totally. I think it's, it really aligns so many of the things that, uh, that i feel like i've been passionate about for most of my adult life just some of the you know obviously i think i've always felt somewhat vocationally like a teacher that was probably you know one of my most satisfying jobs i ever had was was teaching high school um and also why, kind why of just what did you thought i mean that's a really uh probably take us a while to answer that question Pete. Right, so okay. it's a do i ever a whiskey i so please. yeah yeah we can we can talk later over some over some beers about it but uh but, um, but yeah, then these, these sort of issues that we we're kind of just touching on, like, I think the ways that, uh, uh or, you know, the books that I used to, that I was most passionate about kind of in my own educational background, um, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, things like human happiness and fulfillment and sort of how do you find meaning as, you know, an, an impermanent, you know, creature in a you know, how do you find something, something permanent and meaningful in this world of impermanence and kind of asking those sort of deep philosophical questions. This is why I like listening to Troy talk, obviously, um, you know, somebody with a philosophical background like that, but, but yeah, I think, you know, I consider myself a pretty interdisciplinary person too. I like how a lot of different fields of, of, of inquiry kind of interact and Bitcoin is probably the most interdisciplinary thing I've come across, uh, which is endlessly, um, Exhilarating from from that perspective, but I also just think there's so much work to be done on the education front that um, yeah, certainly hoping to uh, maybe use that, maybe combine my legal skills and and move to this. but I think you know so many of us I think uh, I know I know a bunch of people also who are kind of feeling the pull, you start to feel it you and then you mind? start to really feel it and because now i'm I feel like a person split down the middle right now I think I think there's probably a tipping point where you get where you just you, you can't okay. sort of, you can't like coex you can't exist as kind of two entirely discrete humans yep. within within one. Um, so I'm probably approaching that um, and approaching it more quickly than than I initially thought that I would. This has been an incredible journey so far. I mean, a year ago, if you told me I'd be be talking to you, uh, I'm not sure if if I would have believed that, uh, you know, that the, the journey would have been that quick, but, but it's been fantastic.
1: Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, uh, Danny said to me, he said, you're, you're going to love Logan. And uh, I, I really enjoyed uh, your piece on, I said on Bernie, I, I'm going to put it there. I, uh, I think I share a lot of kind of ideas with you. And um, I think a lot of the ways I'm imagining what Bitcoin can do with democracy is very similar. So it's, it's been great to talk to you and uh, absolutely loved having you here. I'm going to take you now for your first game of football. I cannot wait. Three points, please. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Tell people where to go to find out more. Check out Think Bitcoin. Where do they go, man?
0: Sure. So um, Think Bitcoin is uh, my Substack newsletter. It's at thinkbitcoin.substack.com. Um, it's free. So uh, if you subscribe, you will uh, receive essays from me and some other stuff. Um, I'm on Twitter uh, pretty regularly. Um, my handle is at the Y of Fi. That's F I at the end. Um, yeah. So.
1: What, what's the background to that?
0: Oh man, that's um, I kind of came to Bitcoin from a more, I guess, personal finance um, type of background. So, and you know, that's kind of a financial independence nice. background. And I've sort of turned on that community somewhat epically, uh, but the <laughs> the that's a whole another can of worms. But the the handle has remained. So it's that's. That's the handle under which all of my Bitcoin stuff has happened. So it.
1: Right. Well, we've got a abides. couple. we got a couple of topics for the next time we do this. Uh, okay, man. Listen. Thanks for coming in. This was an absolute pleasure. Please do go and check out Logan. Uh, I hope we do this again, man. It was um, it was amazing. And yeah, let's go watch some football. You ready, Danny?
0: I'm ready. Let's go, man. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Pete.
1: All right. Thank you for listening to What Bitcoin Did. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Logan. It was a great conversation. Helped me align some of my thoughts. Make sure you do go and check out his free newsletter, which is Think Bitcoin. And go and check out the article from Bernie to Bitcoin also in the show notes. Hope you all have a great weekend. If you didn't see it, we beat Moulton 5-0 this week. I was very nervous, but we're still top of the table. And we've got 21 points. Very cool for Satoshi. We've got a massive game this weekend. Rail Bedford is away to Amersham. Hope we win. Very, very nervous. Anyway, I'm going to prepare for that. I hope you have a great weekend, and I'll see you all next week.